listening to Chillin' Grace, the lifestyle podcast for women disrupting the norm by chilling in their truth and gracefully inspiring others to do the same. As a certified coach who works with successful women to disrupt the norm by trusting themselves with what they want for their life, it's always been super important for me to showcase women doing just this. We all deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and to know we aren't alone when what we want for our life may seem too big, too different, or too weird. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get to it. Welcome to episode 15 of Chill and Grace. I am so excited to be here with you today. I had originally planned this intro to just kind of roll in and participants' business as usual, but I felt that it wasn't authentic and real in my story to not share why I have not been consistent in this podcast over the past three or four months. Um, This podcast is really important to me. I love doing it. I find joy in talking with these women that are disrupting the norm and doing things a little differently so that they can inspire you out there listening. But over the past three to four months, I've just had a really hard time gaining traction. Um, A lot of it was just me not putting my time around it, even though it was important to me, but also just dealing with other things that have come up along this year with, you know, hashtag 2020. Um, So a couple weeks ago, I made this commitment to myself to be more consistent in this because it is important to me and I don't feel, I feel like I'm robbing um, you of a gift to not share these amazing stories of these women. So I committed to showing up every couple weeks with these podcasts. I committed to, I reached out, I scheduled interviews, I have them planned out. I already have like three or four recorded, so there's no excuses for not getting these out. And, you know, and also at the end of the day, I kind of forgave myself for not treating this the way, not treating this at the level it was important to me. Um, We all have a hundred percent choice in how we spend our time and I wasn't choosing it to spend here and that's okay. And there's never a better moment than to just get back on what you want for your life. Um, If there's something that you're looking at and you're like, oh, I haven't like worked out. I haven't saved money. I haven't looked for a job. I haven't, whatever that is in months and you're having this guilt of not moving forward let it go. We can't sit in all the things that we should have done because when we do, it stops us from moving forward. Because I very easily could have let another week pass and another week pass and another week pass. But I said, no, this stops here and it's okay that I didn't do what I did before. What do I do now? So if this is you, just stop, show yourself some grace and then kick your, (laughs) kick your butt to move forward. So I am so excited to be here today. And this is, Today, I spoke with um, a woman by the name of Larice, who I met through my coaching program, and I was so inspired by her story, and I think it's so relevant now, and she talks about a devastating loss she had and her decision to choose choice over circumstance, and I think this is so, so relevant, especially in this day and age, Um, this day and age, I feel like I aged myself during this time of COVID, right? Um, And one of the key things she talked about is showing up when times aren't great. It's easy to show up when times are great, right? We're our best selves. But how are we showing up when times aren't great? And so I think it's really relevant that she shares, you know, her loss and how she chose that. And I think it's so relevant for us as we're all going through this time of loss on different levels and sadness and unknown to always be aware that we have a choice over how we show up. So I had such an amazing conversation with her, tears, chills, all the things. So let's get into it. Good morning, Larice. Hey, Holly, how are you? 
good. I've been looking forward to talking to you all day. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. And where are you calling in from? I am calling in from New Jersey, a small town, uh, Kinalon, New Jersey. Um, okay. Yeah, I grew up here and um, now I am here with my own family. Aw. Mm. Is that anywhere near Bernardsville? Bernardsville? It's about 40 minutes. Yeah, about okay. 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So not too far. Awesome. My um, best friend from elementary school lives there with her family now. So we always tease because we grew up in New Mexico. And now I'm like, oh, you're like totally New Jerseyan now. Like, you're, <laughs> but, like you have to. You have kids there. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a beautiful town. It's a beautiful town. Yeah. Um, so. oh. Well, awesome. Well, I introduced you a little um, in the introduction, but I'd love to hear kind of just a little brief bio on yourself. And then we'll get in all the details here in a bit. But just introduce yourself to the audience today. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Larice Duffy. I am the youngest of four children in my own family. As I said, I grew up in Kinlaw, New Jersey, and I married the love of my life um, in 1994. And we had four children, four boys, three are triplets. Um, so we have triplet boys. And then two and a half years later, we had another son. Um, and I am um, now a certified life coach. And I was certified at IPEC, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. I have my bachelor's degree in psychology. I'm the owner of A Mindful Journey. And my proudest title, of course, is mom of my four children. <laughs> mm. Mm, yes, absolutely. Four boys. I bet you never had any emergency room visits, <laughs> urgent cares, none of that, not. right? <laughs> right. Uh, yes, it's been a wild ride for sure. And they oh. are um, truly the love of my life and um, mm. wonderful kids. Uh, but yeah, yeah, very, uh, excitement is not something we lack here at home. I <laughs> <laughs> to say, I think uh, I just had one younger brother and we had uh, poison control on our speed dial for a while. Oh. I was getting into all sorts of, of stuff. So it's like, what are you doing? Of course. Right. Like, right. Time for, <laughs> well, we connected, like you had mentioned, you went to IPEC. I'm an IPEC grad as well. So we connected to that community. And, um, I really wanted to have you on here cause you have such a story of, um, grief, also equally amount of joy and stepping through probably one of the hardest things anybody could go through, which we'll get into and coming out the other side. Um, um, I don't know if better is the right word, but a more evolved <laughs> human. Um, and I think it's such a good story, especially now when we're dealing with all sorts of unknowns and losses and to show that if somebody can do it with the magnitude that you did, um, we can implement those ways into our everyday life. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate oh, that. Yes. So we will get right in there. And um, as I, we talked about trying to, you know, talk through what we'd really like to get across of your story. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you kind of talk about um, what it was like for you the first time maybe you realized, hey, um, I have it all, but maybe that's not enough. Sure. Yes. So as I said, I, I married the love of my life. He adored me. We really had a wonderful marriage. We had four kids having triplets. Um, I was really blessed. We were really blessed that they were healthy. 
and I lived in a really nice community. I have a lot of family that surrounds me, wonderful friends. And I was able to run a small business from my home, which allowed me to stay home with the kids. So blessed. And I was on the phone one day with a friend and I said to her all those things that I had. And I said, don't you think I should be skipping around the house? Because I'm not. And I feel this nudge. Uh, I feel like I want more. And we talked about it a bit. And I hung up the phone and I dismissed it. I didn't forget it. The feeling never went away, but I sort of pushed it aside because I felt selfish. I felt mm. like I was practicing gratitude. And that was something really important to me. Uh, I felt that a lot of people would be so happy with everything that I had. And here I was wanting more. And the selfishness about it that I felt uh, just sort of forced me to push it aside and, and move on. What did you, I'm sorry, what did you kind of dismiss it as? Like, could you identify, um, you know, saying maybe I'm just bored, maybe I, um, maybe it's a yes. crisis. Like what was, yes, what was yes. that like for you? Yeah. I, I, it was a spark. I, I, mm-hmm. a spark for something that I was doing. I was running a small business. I wasn't excited about it. It paid the bills. And I felt that I wanted something that gave me more satisfaction, that gave me more excitement, that gave me more fulfillment, that I felt passionate about. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't my relationships. It was, it was something inside of me that I wanted to do for me. You know, as a mom, we do a lot of things for a lot of other people. And that's fine. But I think we have to pay attention to our own needs also and not dismiss them as selfish when they come along. Yeah. And Mm. how often did that nudge, that spark come up for you after that first like initial kind of thought? Well, I, like I said, I think I kind of, uh, you know, pushed it, pushed it aside Mm. and went on, you know, focusing on, I mean, busy wasn't something I was lacking. Right. So I was, (laughs) I was able to um, just sort of, you know, fall into all the things that I needed to do. And that sort of prevented me from having to feel this selfishness for the thing that I really wanted to do or finding out what that was. I Mm. think that, you know, being so busy and then taking the time to figure out, well, what is this thing? It just wasn't aligning. And uh, so I just sort of got lost in all the things that I had to do and uh, just ignored it just simply ignored it. So it didn't really come back uh, Mm. until, you know, things sort of fell apart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think, you know, um, you have that like nudge. And I think a lot of women probably have that and it's, it's overwhelming probably even to know where to start. Right. Cause you're like, Uh I don't know what it is. Do I even have the time to do this? If I do say, Oh, I'm going to be a licensed cosmetologist or whatever it looks like for you. Like, what are the steps in that? So it's, it's easier to, it's harder long-term on your soul, but it's easier in that moment to dismiss it. Absolutely. For kids. Like, right, right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, even if I were to find the why, 
to figure out the how, which, you know, (laughs) was so overwhelming um, that it was easier to just dismiss it. It seemed more realistic to just dismiss it. Yeah. Well, I think we talked, we talked about this and I actually ended up doing a video on it on my, one of my social media pages about um, the but and the and, right? Oh like, yeah. <laughs> and how powerful changing it is to, you're from a but to an and, and somebody on Facebook said, yeah, a but is a stop sign and an and is a bridge. Oh, I love that. I hadn't yes. heard that. I loved it too. I was like, yes. oh my gosh. But I think yes. that's probably what you felt, right? Like I'm not, I, something's missing, but I have a great husband. I have my help. I've got family. Just let it go. <laughs> exactly where it should have been. I have a great husband. I have a great family and mm-hmm. I deserve to follow and pay attention to this nudge, you know? Mm. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I know, a but is a stop that. sign and, a, and an and is a bridge. I have heard that, you know, when you put the word but into a sentence, it means, you know, forget everything I just said. This is what I really mean. Yeah. You know, um, so I do uh, also try to be very careful of using and, you know, instead of but. Yeah. Um, and I don't mm. remember if we had talked about this. I had a conversation um, with somebody and she used and instead of but in just normal conversations and I noticed it yes and I could even since her sometimes me. stopping mm-hmm. and like and and it was so powerful because the com- the whole conversation just felt different mm. and it wasn't even it may have been about the weather or shot it was nothing life you know it was just yes stuff. um but yeah and, and it's think- a practice it's a practice yeah. right it's mm-hmm. just a practice yeah. Yeah. Well, so you talk, you know, talking through that and then you talked about, um, kind of really stepping more into that when your life fell apart, like mm-hmm. tell us a little more what that was for you. Yeah. So, so after that conversation, uh, about a year and a half later, my husband started having some, l- let me just back up by saying my husband has these four boys. My husband was extremely athletic, very strong. He worked as a pipe fitter in the pipe fitters union. And he coached my sons in baseball, basketball, and football. So um, about a year and a half after that conversation with my friend about, you know, that nudge, um, Mm -hmm. he started having some peculiar symptoms. So much so that he started seeing doctors. And no one really knew what it was. He saw doctor after doctor. Um, We sort of, what I thought was, you know, removed any of the scary things, um, out of the possibility column and continued working our way through different, different doctors. And we ended up at a neurologist specialist. Kevin took off of work. We, we, we appointment. It was a morning appointment. We were going to go out to lunch after during the exam, we were sort of, you know, joking around with each other and, the doctor sat us down and said, this is very serious. I believe that you have the beginning stages of ALS. And it was in a moment's time, it was like, poof, my whole world, my whole beautiful world just went up in smoke. And my husband said, what does that exactly mean? And the neurologist said, how much do you want to know? which was probably one of the scariest things that anybody has ever said to me because it screamed to me that this is really, really 
bad if a doctor is asking mm-hmm. how much do you want to know? Mm-hmm. Now, Kevin and I had heard of the ice bucket challenge, but we just weren't sure exactly what this meant. And he shared with us that Kevin would um, end up in a wheelchair and he went on and on with the, the details. And finally that Kevin would die within three to five years. And I, I've just never experienced something. Um, number one, that, that was so earth shattering, so life changing and so unexpected. Mm. I, I, I really have to tell you, I did not think that this was something this serious. Um, we took a couple of days, weeks, you know, with support and, you know, the strength of friends and family. And um, we ended up being told about Lyme disease and how the symptoms overlap so much. And as a result of that, we made an appointment with a Lyme disease specialist who believed Kevin had Lyme disease and not ALS. And we wanted to believe that. Mm -hmm. And we chose to believe that. And we went down that rabbit hole for quite a while. Um, We did IV antibiotics. We did therapies, diets, you name it, we did it. Um, And after about um, doing that for quite a long time, Kevin started declining in February of 2017. So this all started in May of 2015. Okay. So during that time between um, May of 2015 and February of 2017, I found out about life coaching and I heard about it and I was very interested in it. And a week later, my girlfriend said to me, you know, I've been meaning to tell you, I heard about, uh, I have a, a person that I know on my daughter's volleyball team and she is a life coach. And I said, oh, I want to be a life coach. I just found out about this. And I was so excited. It was like, oh my gosh, right? Like pay attention to the little nudges because here I, I heard about it. And a week later, my friend brings it up. So she says she went to IPEC. And Holly, I've never moved so fast in, you know, towards something in my life. I was so sure that this was my thing. And so interestingly, I didn't worry about the how. Listen, I had a sick husband. I had, I was running a business and I was taking care of four children. And I had no idea how this was going to work, but I knew my why. And that was enough for me. I knew the how would unfold. And I went after it and we did, we figured it out and we worked it out. And, um, that decision was so amazing and so wonderful for so many reasons. Um, it taught me so much about how to deal with what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. It taught me to really go after something that, felt really important and felt right, even though I didn't know how it was all going to work out. Um, and it also taught me to listen to that, you know, listen to that little tap on the shoulder saying, you know, I want more. Um, and I, I, I did it. And I went through that program. Kevin cheered me along Mm -hmm. the, the entire way. 
Uh, we still believed it was Lyme disease. <clears throat> and then, like I said, in about 2017, Kevin started declining. And um, so much so that it just couldn't be ignored. And we couldn't kid ourselves anymore. And I had a very difficult conversation with him. And I sat him down and said, I'm not sure if we're searching for answers or if we're running from the truth. And that was really hard because I really was his biggest believer that this was Lyme disease. And I truly believed it. But I also had to be honest with myself and with him when I started to be unable to ignore what was happening, you know, and how he was declining, even under all of this medical care and, you know, different therapies. And was there something that changed that for you? Was there one certain circumstances or excuse me, circumstance? Or was it like a slow build? We were like, this isn't okay. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that his father died mm -hmm. and, um, we went, to, he, there was a, a wake and a funeral. So a lot of friends saw him that hadn't seen him in a long time and never said to me, this isn't Lyme disease, although that's what they were saying to each other, mm -hmm. but very kindly, um, and very much with, you know, with care sort of guided me. Um, and said, why don't you just seek out another doctor? And I knew why we weren't because yeah. we were scared of the answer. Um, so I think that, um, once I realized that, you know, he was declining and how could he be declining under all these different treatments, we needed, we needed some more answers. And there was also some, you know, he had gotten a feeding tube um, put in and the doctor there was like, I don't think this is Lyme disease. You know, there was just little things that were happening along the way that I was really paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And I made an appointment at Columbia. We fortunately had a good friend in town that was able to get us right to the ALS specialist in Columbia. And he sat us down and he said, I don't know if you have Lyme disease or not. What I know for sure is that you have ALS. And it was in that moment that he confirmed what my fears started telling me um, in, in the recent weeks before that. And um, was there like a sense, this is going to sound weird <laughs> was oh no it, no nothing was nothing there, sounds weird to me was there a sense <laughs> of relief when he told you that oh that that's so interesting that you asked that question there was um holly i felt like uh it, i actually had some guilt even admitting this to myself but mm -hmm. it's the truth and there was like a weight it was almost as if i dropped this humongous backpack off my back mm -hmm because I couldn't run anymore. Yeah, I and how tiring that would be. I was, yeah. I was mm -hmm. so exhausted. I was so exhausted in trying to find doctors that was, that were going to tell us, you know, that were going to help us and tell us what we wanted to hear. I was so tired convincing him and I was becoming very tired convincing myself. And like I said, in the beginning, truthfully, I believed this with every part of my being. There was no 
Nothing that made sense that this man who is so amazing, who is such an amazing father, an amazing husband, an amazing, an amazing human being mm-hmm. um, was going to be taken away from us. It just didn't make sense. And Lyme disease was the answer that made it all make sense. Oh, because you couldn't imagine a world where that would happen. So you're like, well, obviously exactly. that's not going to happen. So it has to be Lyme disease. It has to be, yeah, right? It yeah. has to be. And it was the only thing that could make sense because the symptoms overlapped. So it just seemed so, so clear. And uh, this had to be. But once he was declining after doing so much, there was nowhere to turn but to the truth and and seeing a, a specialist at Columbia was certainly going to grant us, you know, that, that truth. And I think acceptance is so powerful. Um, and when I, you know, when I, when I came to terms with acceptance, um, in, in the answer to your question, yes, there was a, a relief, there was a weight it, there was so much sadness, mm-hmm. but there was also a weight um, of just not having to run anymore. Yeah, because you both <laughs> probably knew, right? Deep down, like you knew that it was not just Lyme at, towards after a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, yeah. he, you know, he would often bring it up and I would convince him that it was. Um, but interestingly, when I did finally believe it, um, I, 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 he felt bad. He felt bad that I believed it. Mm. He wanted that hope and I gave it to him Mm. and I was taking it away. And that was really, really hard for me. It was really super hard for me. Um, because I wanted I wanted him to live and I wanted to give him hope. Mm -hmm. But what I realized was that giving him hope that wasn't sincere, wasn't kindness and it wasn't love. And I, right. When I believed that I had to share my truth. Um, But that felt really bad and I felt bad enough. I didn't want to feel more bad, you know? Um, And, um, you know, not, you know, I just didn't want any more bad feelings, but, um, but I, I, I did, you know, I, I, I did want to be, be honest. And, you know, in that honesty, I said to him, we need to go home and, and we need to share this with the kids. And he said, oh, I don't know if we should do that right away. And I said, we need to, because I promised them the truth. Mm -hmm. And I promised them that everything that I knew that I would share with them, because certainly, you know, things that they conjure up in their head, you know, or, 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 because they think that I'm not sharing the truth with them, it's probably going to be even worse than, you know, if there is anything worse than death, I don't know, but I did promise them and that, and I, I wanted to, um, respect that promise. Yeah. And, um, oh, were no, you no, going to no. say something? Well, no. oh, okay. <laughs> you had talked about like, um, you know, really having a lot of not letting your circumstances dictate your choice, rather having like your choices over your circumstances. Yes. Did yes, that kind yes. of shift at this moment where you got that, um, diagnosis from the physician? 
Um, so I, there's a principle that, um, I learned at, um, you know, at IPEC, um, and it really just resonated with me and resonated in this, um, it resonated in this situation and the, um, the principle is each moment describes who you are and gives you the opportunity to decide if that's who you want to be. And I sort of lived by that principle during, you know, Kevin's final year. Um, when we, when we came home, I'll backtrack for a moment. When we came home from the second diagnosis of ALS and, and, and brought the kids into a room. Now, Kevin, um, really, like I had said, this was, um, affected his speech. So he wasn't able to really speak any longer. I did all the talking and shared with them everything that I was told and Kevin was told. And nobody said a word. The four boys sat there and listened and no one said anything. The only words were spoken, um, where one of the boys said, mom, are you okay? And I said, yes. And I left the room after the meeting was over and I was really surprised that I was the one being asked if I was okay. Their father was dying of a terminal illness and I was asked if I was okay. I didn't really understand it. And what I figured out along the way was that because when Kevin passed, he was in hospice. And when he passed, the boys had said their goodbyes. I stayed with him by myself. I needed that. I needed to do that. I needed to be by myself with him. Um, and not, I mean, not the kids, the kids, this was like three o'clock in the morning, but I had like family and friends that were like, do you want us to come, you know, stay with you? And I was like, no, I need to do this by myself. Um, but when I came home, I went into my first son's room. It was about three o'clock in the morning. And I said, daddy passed and he lifted up his arms and he turned his head and he said, oh, mom, are you okay? Mm. And I said, yes. Mm. And what I realized, Holly, was that I didn't have the control to get my husband better, but I had the control to make sure my kids knew that they were going to be okay. Mm. And their words and why they asked was simply that they wanted to know that they were going to be okay. They accepted that their father was going to die, Mm -hmm. but they wanted to know that they were going to be okay, that they weren't going to lose their mom too, that their mom was going to be able to get out of bed, that their mom was going to be the mom that they knew when their dad was well. Oh my gosh. It was almost like, are they asking like, are we okay? And Mm -hmm. asking you if you were okay. Mm -hmm. Because if I was okay, they knew they would be okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. So that's where I, that's where I tapped into that power and realized that I could still, you know, I still had the power and I still had the, and, and this was an opportunity to decide who I was going to be. You know, when life was beautiful, when I was, you know, had this great husband and these healthy four kids and lived in this beautiful community with family and friends, it was really easy to be a good mom and a good wife and a good sister and a good daughter and a good friend. Who was I going to be when life was at rock bottom? 
And that was the question. And this situation, this circumstance really gave me the opportunity to, to, to decide. And I used that principle every time I wanted to be a victim or every time I wanted to be angry. And don't get me wrong, Holly, I was sad. I mean, this was sad. Um, I still am sad today. I miss him terribly. But, or, and, (laughs) (laughs) and I got the choice Mm -hmm. to decide who I was going to be. And I had the choice to really be the example for my children of choosing who we were going to be and how we were going to react to our circumstance. This was their first really major, scary, tragic thing in their life. So I realized that I had, I had the power here to really, you know, teach them, uh, you know, their first, their first real, you know, tragic situation in their life, right? Um, I had the power here to really steer this, to really choose how it was going to go and to be the example of strength and for this to be about compassion and love and kindness and even a sense of humor when appropriate. And that was really important to me. That was something that I could really give to them, you know, choosing that although we had no control over our circumstance, we were going to choose who we wanted to be here. And I was going to be the example of choosing all of those things and this experience being that way for them, as well as a gift to our future selves, mm, right? Mm-hmm. This was something, go ahead, yeah. No, 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 go ahead. Well, this was something that I knew that my behavior in the moment, even sometimes when I just wanted to kick and scream, you know, and just be so mad, and not that I couldn't do that on the side if I chose to, but that, it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice, right? Um, and not that the kids saw me cry. They did. That was important too. You know, they needed to know their mom was sad. Um, but, but who I, you know, my future self, I knew and had the wherewithal to think about her and what she needed. And I knew she needed to be able to look back on this experience without regret. And how, mm. how could I do that as a wife and as a mother? What do I need to give to that person, the future me? What do I need to give to her? And that was something I really thought about. And, and, and you know, as well as what I needed to give to my husband and what I needed to give to my kids. I needed to know that I was giving something that I was giving my future self what she needed to be able to carry on with peace and grace. Oh, mm. so powerful. Mm. Um, how do you feel like, you know, having that recognition of like, you know, these are terrible circumstances, but we still have this choice over how we come through them. How did that help you work through your grief? I think because, you know, the power of choice over circumstance is a, is, is, you know, an important message for me because we're a product of our choices. I felt for me, I was a product of my choice, not a victim of my circumstance. And 
that was really important because our circumstances our circumstances. There's nothing we can do to change them. The only power we have in them is choosing who we're going to be mm -hmm. while going through them. And, you know, for me, I think recognizing that gives me a lot of freedom and it removes a lot of fear mm -hmm. because I recognize the difference. You know, I recognize the difference of you can't change your circumstances. Not, you know, not in a situation like this. I'm not saying, you know, there's obviously some circumstances you can quit your job and get another job. Right. right. But that's a choice, right? <laughs> that's <Yeah>. a choice. <laughs> you know, circumstances to me are something brought upon us, something we can't control or change. And knowing I have the power to choose, in some cases, just who I'm going to be. And I get to keep my, you know... I get to keep that, um, I get to, I get to always be who I want to be, someone I'm going to be proud of, someone that I'm, you know, who's proud of, of their behavior, that that's always in choice. You know, we mm -hmm. always, we always have that at our fingertips. That's something no one can take away from us. Mm -hmm. We always get. We always get to choose, and that's powerful. That's really, really, you know, powerful. Um, and I, I would have to imagine that you, you know, obviously going through devastating grief, that there were moments that you're like, I'm just, like, you almost, it would be so easy to succumb to, like, I'm just going to be a very sad widow who's never going to find joy and, like, just sit in this. And to have that thought of, like, no, I have the choice, it lessens the heaviness of that in a way maybe um Absolutely. not the sadness it's, i'm just devastating but it's like no that's not who i have to be i could be mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. I, that could be my choice mm -hmm. but yes um yes yeah sadness sadness and strength can march together mm -hmm. you know um sadness and choice can march together and um I actually think they're quite a beautiful combination, you know, so by no means am I suggesting that, you know, power through and, you know, I think our emotions are messages of, you know, messages that we need to listen to. And I think that the only way to heal it is, is certainly to feel it, you know? Um, but with that, we have, you know, we have, we have choice. And sometimes when we really just sit back and think about, well, who do I want to be? You know, who does my future self need me to be right now? And what is the opportunity in this? You know, what is the opportunity? Because I can't change this. So how can my kids come out? Not worse, but better. You know, how can they, um, how can they be taught a valuable lesson about some, you know, uh, uh, with their first experience of tragedy um, and really have sort of something to draw from when they're adults with their own family and, and something happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I, I really saw it as an opportunity to, you know, to give them that um, sort of first experience as something that was filled with, you know, like I said, love and kindness and compassion and thoughtfulness. I sat them down one dinner, one night we had dinner and I said, you're young. And, you know, sometimes young people can be selfish and that's not your fault. 
um, you want to go, you want to do things with your friends, go play your sports. And you have every right to, to feel that way. But I want to share with you that you, by sitting with your father each day and by taking the time out of your day to just spend time with him, to remind him how much you love him, is a gift you're going to give yourself when you're older, mm. when you look back on this time as an adult. And it's my job to remind you of that, you know, and to share that because you would have no way of knowing mm -hmm. that this is something your, your future self is going to need. Mm. And, um, and they listened, you know, they did. And, and they spent time with him and they would sit in the bedroom with him <clears throat> and just hang out and watch TV with him and, you know, talk to them about their day. And that's something that they get to hold on to. You know, that's something that they, that they get to carry with them. Um, and, and know that, you know, those last few months, um, they, they, they had that time with their dad. Mm. Yeah. And, and he, and yeah. Oh. So, um, and you had shared like the, a day or week after that they had a baseball game. Oh, they did. The di no, it was actually the morning, mm. uh, or excuse me, the day of his death. Mm. So he died at about 2 a.m. And that morning, um, my eulogy, um, I gave the eulogy for, for Kevin's funeral, and it was all about the game must go on. As I told, um, you know, you and your audience, the um, Kevin coached them in football, baseball, basketball. We, we were a big sports family. It's what we did. And um, that day, he, they had a baseball game. And I told them, actually told my girlfriend, 7.30 in the morning. I said, the boys aren't awake yet. They have a game today. And I'm going to give them permission to play in that game. And she said to me, of course you are. The game must go on. Mm. Because she knew. She knew the eulogy. So I told them. And two of them jumped on, yes, we want to play. And the other two were unsure. And I sat with one of them and I said, um, you know, what are you thinking? And he said, well, I'm feeling like it's a bit weird for us to play in a baseball game. And I think people are going to think it's weird that our father died and we're playing baseball. And I said, you have to make a decision that's right for you. And your decision shouldn't be based on what your brothers are doing, uh, nor should you think bad of them because they're playing. This is an individual decision for everybody. Mm -hmm. But if you're asking my opinion, I said, I think it's a beautiful way to honor your father in doing, in playing a game with your brothers that you played with him so often. So much of their time was spent at the field having a catch. They pitched to him. He pitched to them and they hit. They played baseball so much together. And I thought how amazing Kevin would have the best seat in the house mm -hmm. to watch his sons play a game that he introduced to them that they all loved so much and shared together. Um, and they did, they all played and it was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. Mm. The, um, the athletic director had a moment of silence and, um, in, in Kevin's honor and they played and they won 
and it was a beautiful day. Um, and I know Kevin was watching and I know he was cheering them on and it was a great way to celebrate Kevin. Oh. It was just, a, it was a beautiful day. Oh, what a, an amazing, were you, how was that moment for you? Um, I felt peaceful. Mm-hmm. I, I felt peace. I knew that Kevin was no longer in pain. I knew he could whistle and sing and dance, which is he loved to do. <laughs> and I knew he could do it again. Losing his voice and not being able to speak was really hard. And I knew that he could run around and jump and throw a football again and, and shoot a basketball. And I knew he was doing all of those things because he loved to do them. And he was doing it by watching his four boys, you know, play in a game that, that, that he taught them and that they loved together and bonded, you know, with uh, each other while doing. And it made, I just, I felt blessed. I felt, I felt blessed that, um, that he left me with these four boys, Mm -hmm. these four wonderful, amazing gifts, and that they had so much of him in them. They were 17 and 15 or 14 and a half, maybe when Kevin died. And they got a lot of years of a lot of amazing. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. I was really grateful. And I got to choose that thought. I, I, I didn't, I, I oh. purposely chose to think that I got to marry the love of my life. And he gave me four amazing kids that were filled with so much of him mm. and all of his beautiful. And they were going to carry that on. And I was going to honor him along the way. And we were going to be okay. And there's pictures of him all over the house. We talk about him. Um, And we got to share in something that was quite dynamic. And I will be forever grateful. What an amazing love story. Just Mm. all of it. The sadness, the happiness, just all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And right. And that's a choice, right? That's a choice to see it that way is an amazing love story. And that's, that's what I, that's what I decide. That's what I choose. The circumstance is just the circumstance, but my choice in how I remember it, how we handled it and how I move on with it being part of me. That's my choice. Mm. Yeah. That, and I love that you kind of, you know, that's such a great, I think a great way to end and talking about, you know, you choose, you chose your actions, you chose your thoughts, you chose how you remember Mm -hmm. and how you move forward. It's all a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. uh, You have me like in tears and well done. This is such a beautiful (laughs) story and anything else you want to share before we kind of wind up? You know, I think, um, I think something important to remember is that life is meant to be lived, not saved. You know, I think that we're always sort of waiting for the right moment to do the thing Mm. and waiting for everything to be lined up perfectly. And then we're going to, you know, do whatever it is that we want to do. And I feel like I moved so quickly, you know, 
and followed that nudge, right, that I brought up a year and a half ago that I dismissed, when things all of a sudden felt like they were falling apart, when things felt like um, I was losing grip, you know, and I think often, wow, I love that I'm a life coach and I love that I get to do what I do and, 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 you know, help women particularly, um, and share my message. I wish that I was able to do this and have my beautiful husband mm. with me who would be so proud of me right now. I, I my youngest son, I, I, re, I remember saying when I got my first client and I was sitting there and I said, I got my first client, Aiden. He's like, oh my gosh, mom, that's so great. And I guess I was thinking in my mind, oh, he'd be so proud. And my and I said it out loud. Mm. And my son said, what did you say, mom? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I was just thinking how proud daddy would be of me. And he said, he is proud of you, mom. And I'm so proud of oh you too. My gosh. And it was, just, it was just such, it's like, sometimes I swear, I feel like yeah. Kevin speaks through him, you know, mm. uh, my youngest. And, um, but I, I think about that. And I think I just want women to remember or people to remember that, you know, life is meant to be lived. Go for it. There's no amazing time. There's no time, you know, we think when our kids graduate from high school, then I'll do the thing. Or well, when my kids are out of college, then I'll do the thing. When I retire, then I'll do the thing, right? Live your life. It's not meant to be saved. It's meant to be lived now. Go live it. Go do that thing. Don't worry about the how. It will unfold. Follow your why and go after it and live life because you never know when you're going to be sitting in a chair and a doctor is going to say, you have three to five years to live and poof, your life is going to feel like it, you know, went up in smoke. So live it, live it, live your life and remember that it's not meant to be saved. Mm. Lori, mm. thank you so much. And thank you for sharing um, and then being such an inspiration. And I, this is, this is such an <laughs> honor for me to talk with you today. So thank you so much. Oh, oh, Holly, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's been an honor to be here and to share with your community, you know, my story. Um, and I'm grateful that you gave me the opportunity to do that. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Mm. Well, you have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Ah, uh, you had me in was, tears. You, ha- you had me oh. in tears. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. I mean, you did. You feel like it went. Oh, you, you're happy with how it went. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was so organic. Oh. And I love that we still kind of oh. able to get kind of the messages you went across. How do you feel about it? I do. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I think it went well. I, you know, I, I, I did one podcast a long time ago and I felt like I said, um, a lot. So I was really trying to be conscious <laughs> about, you know, not saying, um, and, um, and just being clear and not going off on no, it. You a were tangent. so lovely. So hope- you have such a great delivery. Oh. Um, oh, yeah. And I'll be able to slide those together really easily. Wonderful. So. Now, is this something that I can share with my, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll so probably, yeah, when I'm doing it every, I have one scheduled to go out next week it'll probably be in a month or so but I'll give you a heads up okay. when it is 
Um, awesome. Oh, this is so great. It's you, I, oh, I'm so, I'm I don't even know you and I'm so proud of you just for how you handled oh, everything. Oh, so nice, Holly. That is so nice. That is a really nice thing to say to somebody. So, Thank you. Yes, and I'm just so grateful for you to have had me. I really am. And I'm, I'm glad that you, I just want you to know it also made me you know, it just made me feel really good that my story is powerful mm-hmm. and, um, you know, maybe something that really needs to be to be shared in a bigger way. And, and, and you inspired me to do oh, that. So um, well, thank you. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. I, it's, yeah. Oh, yes. I was it was it was an honor to share it. So, and I will definitely be in touch and stay in touch if okay. I can ever do anything for you. Yes. Yes. Let's stay in touch. I love being connected to, you know. Um, powerful women and women that just share the same, you know, vision of, of helping and coaching. And I just love everything about it. It's like it, we so. all wear the same jacket, right? We're all eye pickers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Laurie. So great. Oh, y'all, I honestly had chills just listening to that in a well in my eyes. I was so grateful for her for sharing her story of strength and compassion and kindness and joy and that you always, always, always have a choice over your circumstance. Um, you know, she talks about, we don't choose our circumstances for the most part. Um, sometimes we do, but a lot of times circumstances happen to us, whether it's a job loss or loss of a family member or an illness, like we don't choose those, but we choose how we respond. And I think that's so, so powerful. Um, a couple other things I want to touch on that really stood out for me is talking about following that nudge. She felt this nudge in her heart, you know, to really look at coaching, but it was years later before she actually followed through on it. And we know when that nudge comes up and we push it down because it makes us uncomfortable or we don't know where to begin. Right. And so it's, and like I said in the podcast, it's easier at first to ignore it than to put the work in to figure out what that is. But long-term it just destroys our souls, right? It just hurts. And so noticing that nudge is it keep on coming up what does that look like for you to like look more into that nudge? I think so many times we have an inkling that we want something more or different. And instead of just being open to what that could look like, we shut it down. So I encourage you, if this is something you're dealing with, just explore it. There's nothing, no consequences for you just looking at what that could be for you, whether it's a different job or, you know, how do you want to spend your free time? Or maybe it's um, something with your family. Just sit in it, think about it. There's no harm, no foul in exploring that. And this is something I think she was so great. And it's something one of my good friends always says is like, do something your future self will thank you for. I've used this for making coffee <laughs> the night before. So it's there in the morning. Um, Larissa was on tour eloquently and how she does it. But you know, when you're going through a hard time, what can you do now to set up your future self? What can you do at this moment that your future self can be like, I'm so glad she did that. Um, we often don't think about our future selves. We think about this moment, but looking at what you can do now that your future self will either be grateful for or proud of, that's something really to tie around. Um, and especially when it's a lot of unknown and frustration and sadness, um, what will your future self thank you for? And, you know, I talked to the intro too. um, the ability to show up when life is hard. It's, um, life's easy. It's so great to show up happy and supportive and, joyful, but it's a lot harder when life's hard. And so I know so many of you out there are struggling with different things. Um, and just really challenge yourself to think, what do I, how do I want to show up in this moment? Um, how would I show up in this moment if things were great and how do I do that then? 
um, you know, it's okay to not want to show up in every single moment. Great. Right. We need time alone. We need time apart, but the ability to show up honoring your values as your truest self when life is hard, it's not easy, but it's so worth it. And so I just love that she shared that as well as, you know, when everything was rocking and rolling, it was easy for her to show up as who she wanted to be, but it was a lot harder when she lost the love of her life. So I'm, this was such a powerful, powerful conversation for me. And like I said, especially when I talked to Larice, I think it's so, the message resonates so much for what we're all going through with our life. We're in circumstances we didn't choose. We're sitting in fear. We're sitting in sadness, but how, what choices can we make that benefit our better self or excuse me, our future self? Um, and how do we do those when life is hard? So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I've included her information in the show notes. As always, I appreciate any reviews you can give me for this podcast. And if there's any way I can ever support you, please reach out to me at holly at hollycrevo.com. Have a great day. And remember, I'm rooting for you.